0: Oh, come on, Beltway Park. You didn't know if you are supposed to cringe or laugh, right? As far as we know, no one was hurt in the making of that video, but um, we actually don't know. So, <clears throat> you know, it doesn't matter whether we're at our North Campus, South Campus, part of our online family, love having you all. I think we can all confess this year that there's a reality to living in this world. And that reality is we wrestle with Distraction. And it's not just when you're trying to walk and look at your phone. And we know that there are some distractions that are more costly than others. Often we pick up our phone intent to do one thing but find ourselves going down the rabbit hole of other things. You know, you pick it up and all of a sudden there's an alert there and you've got a message and the message turns into checking the scores and then you go to the social media feed, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And about 30 minutes later you've been on your phone wondering why you picked up the phone in the first place, right? Distraction. But that's really not that big a deal. But there are other things that are a big deal. Distracted driving. And I'm not talking about driving under the influence of some sort of substance. Just distracted driving, whether it's your phone, putting on your makeup, eating, things such as that. It's estimated that last year, 2022, 3,000 American lives were lost due to distracted driving. 325,000 injuries Due to distracted driving. In the business world, it is estimated by one entity that businesses are losing forty five hundred dollars per employee per year to, believe it or not, use of personal social media on company time. Distraction. Now I understand that it is utterly impossible to stay completely focused on task all the time. In practice, probably not healthy. One of the things that I am privileged to do as lead pastor here is giving messages. And believe it or not, I prepare for these. What doesn't happen is I don't just wake up on Sunday morning, like pray, write down four words, and just throw out what comes to the top of my head. I believe that what you're doing right now is of utmost value. Each and every one of you is making an investment. And I'm blessed and honored by that investment that you are giving time And we want to make sure as a team, as a church, church, that we do our very best to set the atmosphere where we can meet with God together, where we can draw near to God, where we can be filled with his Holy Spirit in a greater way so that we can live out the purposes that he has on planet Earth. Church in and of itself isn't supposed to be an end, it's a means to an end. This is where we are encouraged, this is where we are built up, this is where we are charged to take the world for Jesus Christ and be who we are. I want to make sure we do the best we can at that. So I'm telling you, when I stand up here I have prayed, I have thought, I have written, and I have rewritten messages. And in the process of doing all that, there are moments where I'm just flat stuck. Like my brain isn't really producing anything or definitely not producing anything that is worthy of your investment. So I do a necessary reset of my brain. I go and I walk around, I pray, I think about some stuff. But I've discovered that unless I'm really purposeful and careful, the necessary reset of my brain so I can get my focus back becomes way way too long and even the reset to get my focus becomes a distraction come on you know exactly what I'm talking about we live in a society that probably has more opportunity for distraction than maybe any other society in the history of humanity we have a plethora of stimuli I mean, just all sorts of stuff coming at us again and again and again. All crying, look at me, pay attention to me. I want you to pay attention to this. But at the same time, you might be thinking right now, well, yeah, David, I get it. But there's a lot of issues in our world, a lot of major issues. And if I were ranked, to rank all the issues of our world and put distraction in the list, it feels like it should be pretty low. Come on. We have the war in the Ukraine, and it could unpack to greater portions of the world. And then we have distraction. We have maybe the addiction of my spouse and the wrestle is causing it in my family, and we have distraction. We have the growing moral decadence of our society, and we have distraction. And you look at the word distraction in light of everything that's going on, and it can seem like, yeah, it's a thing. And we all have to deal with it. But it seems really low on the list of things we need to concern ourselves about. That when I really hear the word distraction, I hear something that's pretty innocuous, seemingly really harmless in the scheme of human existence. And I would suggest, please hear me out, that when we think that distraction is harmless and innocuous, that the enemy of God and the enemy of humanity has us exactly where he wants us. Because one of the major tools of the enemy, believe it or not, one of his greatest strategies to destroy is distraction. Distraction isn't merely about the overabundance of potential stimuli that comes because of the prosperity of our nation, that comes because of our phone and our television sets and our computers and all the stuff that's coming our way. Hear me, there is something deeper. There is something more devious and hideous in distraction that we tend to think. And I actually get that idea from The Scripture, and I invite you to turning your Bibles to the place where I get it, Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus. But might I suggest that anything written to an original audience was also written to you when it's in the Bible, and it was written to me, Paul's letter to us, called the Book of Ephesians, chapter five. Now, maybe you didn't bring a Bible, or you intended to use your phone as your Bible, but now you're thinking, hey. I'm probably going to get distracted if I use my phone. So you want to grab one of the Bibles we have. If you're on the floor at either of our physical campuses, underneath the chair in front of you, or if you're in the risers underneath your chair, there are black-colored Bibles. Ephesians chapter 5 is on page 978 in those black-colored Bibles. Now, as you find the passage, because I'm going to give you a challenge with that passage here in a second, I just want to state. I thought Jeffrey did a masterful job last week of opening up the new year and a call to us to engage the word, not out of obligation, but out of opportunity. And at the end, he asked each of us to really just ask, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? I had something I sensed the Lord wanted me to do in light of that. I, in the new year, I want to engage more purposely in the memorization of Scripture. See, I I understand that there are going to be dark seasons and dark moments in life. And from the innermost part of who I am, in my mind, I want the Scripture to come and serve as a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And now you're going to say, man, you have your phone, but you have to get your phone, you have to look it up, you have to do the search and all that kind of stuff. What would it be if it's just there and you have that moment and the Word of God and the truth of the Word, God comes to you in the moment. That's what I want. I know as I get older, I have to exercise my brain more. It tends to do things it shouldn't do anymore. And memorization is one of those great tools to exercise your brain. But I will tell you, the older you get, the harder memorization is. That's what it is for me. And what I tend to do is make goals that are way too much. Like my tendency would be to hear, memorize scripture. So I say, I'm going to memorize the book of Matthew in January. Probably not going to happen. And I asked the Lord where to start. And he said, well, why don't you start right here? See, over the course of the next three weeks, we're going to look at four verses. And I thought, even I, as long in the tooth as I am, I can memorize four verses. And so over the course of the next three weeks, I'm going to memorize four verses. And I challenge you, invite you. Maybe you want to do the same thing. Maybe you want to join in with me. Because I am confident that when we unpack these, these are some of the most needed and practical verses we can get in the year 2023. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, look carefully then at how we walk. Notice that word. Not as unwise, but as wise, looking to make the best use of the days, the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Now in the scripture, the idea of walking is an image of how we live our lives. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not, what? What? will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Now, I think it's obvious what Jesus is not saying. He is not saying that once you become his follower, that when you have to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, it's never going to be dark, that there's just going to be, poof, a light that pops out everywhere you go in life, right? Because if that were true, all of us over 50 would be a failure in our faith. What he's saying is it's about the choices that we make in our life. Walking is an image of the choices we make in our daily lives in Cassius, where those choices are taking us. Don't miss this, our lives are headed somewhere. With the choices we make on a day in, day out basis, we are going somewhere in life. And Paul is shouting to us, watch your step. Watch where you are going until Jesus returns and finishes the restoration of all things. We live, into verse 16, in days that are evil. Technological advancements are not going to solve the issue of evil. Government is not going to resolve the issue of evil. Greater scientific knowledge is not going to resolve the issue of evil. We have proven those things in the past 50 to 75 years. Only Jesus in the heart of a human can resolve the issue of evil. Amen? But even when we have Jesus, while we live in this evil age, we must be vigilant, looking carefully at how we walk, because we have an enemy. So Peter shouts through the centuries for you and I, be sober-minded, be watchful. Same kind of language as Paul. Look carefully. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone that they may devour. But I would suggest that before the enemy can devour, he must distract. When we're walking in the middle of God's best, perfectly walking in this place, there's a shield, there's a protection. I'm not saying hard things don't happen, but I don't think the enemy can devour. But when we just get distracted and get off course, and the further we get off course, we get isolated, we get isolated from God, we get isolated from other human beings, other believers, then we find ourselves in a place where the enemy can pounce. Distraction leads to devouring. See, think about how important this is. At the end of our days, whenever that might be, The legacy of our lives and the nature of our eternity will be based on the choices we make on a daily basis. Now, I know some of you think, hey, did you just say what I think you said? I did. At the end of our lives, we are going to face judgment before God. Listen, we don't get into heaven based upon the choices we make, except for one choice. Did we embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Did we have grace to become in? It is by grace you have been saved, by faith, not of work, so that no one can boast. Amen? We can't work our way to heaven. However, what you get in heaven, based on the choices you make. I don't have time to unpack it, but I promise you it is all through the Scripture. The nature of our legacy on planet Earth and the nature of our eternity beyond this life is based upon our choices. That's why the Scripture implores us. Look carefully then at how you walk. Watch your step because life ends up being the sum of the choices that you and I make. Life ends up being the sum of how we choose to walk on a day-in, day-out basis. Every day, we make choices. One researcher at Columbia University estimates that the average American makes 70 conscious choices a day. I'm not talking about the choices that are automatic, the things that are on autopilot, We drive pretty much, believe it or not, on autopilot. That's why we think we can do other things while we drive. I'm not talking about those things. 70 conscious decisions a day. That is 25,550 decisions in a year. That is 1,788,500 decisions over the course of a 70-year life. That's a lot. And we feel the weight of it. One author says it well. We are decision makers. Our lives are a series of choices, and this is more true in our day than ever before. People used to enter arranged marriages. Now we decide whether we'll marry and whom we will marry. Boys used to enter their father's profession, and girls grew up in the homemaker- as homemakers. Now we must decide what we will do. Throughout history, people generally lived and died in the village where they were born. Now we get to choose where to live, and that's even greater now that this whole remote work thing begins to happen. People used to follow their tribal religion almost exclusively. Now, we must choose what we believe. So many choices, choice after choice after choice, to the point that one Princeton philosopher by the name of Walter Kaufman actually coined a term that he thinks is part of the issue in the Western world. It's called decidophobia. We in the West, we prize the ability to choose. We love it. It's why we gravitate towards Amazon. Amazon. Come on. Have you ever tried to buy something in Amazon? Like, you just want something like a phone protector, a case. How many cases do you think exist on Amazon for your phone? Hundreds. Yay, thousands, yay, maybe millions of phones, uh, cases that you and I can choose from. We click, we click, we click, and we spend all our time looking at it. The average grocery store in America in the 1990s had seven to 8,000 products on the shelves. You know how many it is today? Between 40 and 50,000. Same basic items, by the way, just more of them. We've had people who served on the mission field over a course of years, especially in second and third world nations. And they say one of the big issues of re-entry back into the American culture when God has their season finished is actually just going to the grocery store. They said, you know what, for years we went to the store where we were and we had like four choices of cereal. How many choices of cereal do you think exist in a grocery store right now? I've had people come back and say, I just felt like crawling in the fetal position and crying over all the choices that we have to make. It happens again and again and again. What cereal we decide is not that big a deal, but we kind of know the kind of food we eat says something about our lives, the kind of choices we make. See, instinctively, we know this. We know that life is the sum of our choices. Life is the sum of the way we walk, and we're fearful of making a mistake. That's why Scripture implores us. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best. Somebody say best. Best. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Hear me. This is why this verse exists. The goal of this is not just to feel bad. I I used to think kind of growing up, I'll be honest with you, going to church, I thought we really had church if I felt bad at the end. If I felt guilty, then it's like, yeah, we really met with God at that place. I, I don't buy into that. The goal of the work of God in our life isn't guilt, it's to move us into the likeness of Jesus so that we can have the best. That is the heart of the Father. Our Father longs for us to have what is best. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, overcome death, hell, and the grave, offers us life and offers to set us free from the slavery of sin. And if we're set free from the slavery of sin, we now have the power, we have the ability to actually choose what is best. Next week, we're going to talk about the will of God that God reveals to us, his will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will, his will that we make way too big a deal about. He wants us to know his will so that we can have what is best. In two weeks, we're going to talk about this incredible gift that God gives to us the gift of his Holy Spirit that he will give to us again and again and again. And if we live a life that is submitted to the Holy Spirit, he will empower us to make choices that lead to the very best in life. The Father longs for you and I to have what is best in life. But to have what is best, we must look carefully at the way we walk. We must choose. See, the greatest enemy to God's best isn't always that which is outright evil. Often the greatest enemy to God's best is just being distracted by all the good. You see, in the midst of so many good things, so many options that exist, sometimes we can get distracted. And at first it doesn't seem like that big a deal. But the longer you walk just a little distracted and off course, the further you get away from God's best. And we get to that place where the distraction leads to the ability to be devoured. You see, in the midst of so many options, we can just get distracted from what is best in life and neglect what is most important. The season of the new year, come on. It's just a natural season to evaluate. It's a natural season to look at the things and ask ourselves the question, in light of the word of God, Have I become distracted from what is God's best? Am I living God's best? I actually, in my thinking, praying, study, in my mind reset. Sometimes my mind will go from what I want to say to just what the Lord wants to do in my life, and I ask the Lord. I said, Lord, is there something you want me to focus on in 2023, a wise decision? Remember, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. What is a wise thing? that I can do in 2023 that would help me make the best use of the time. And I actually got a phrase. And the phrase is definitely for me. But I'm gonna be audacious enough to say, I think the phrase is for us. I'll submit it to you. You can decide at the end if you think the phrase is for you. You have to do something with the text. The scripture implores us, look carefully then how we walk. We've gotta look at it. But I would suggest to you, that one of the wisest things we can do, maybe not the wisest, but one of the wisest things we can do right now to make sure we make the best use of our time is to do whatever is necessary to fuel the fire of our faith. Somebody say out loud, fire. Fire. Hear that word, fire. Another word, passion. A biblical word, zeal. Fire is a much larger part of the Christian journey than I think we admit. In fact, we think just the opposite. Here's what often happens. Somebody becomes a follower of Jesus. They are brand new. And when they become a brand new follower of Jesus, they get the revelation that God sent his son Jesus. He loved me so much, he sent his son Jesus paid the penalty for my sin, overcame death, hell, and the grave, and offers me an utter change of existence that I go from darkness to life, death to life. I get all these things, and they say, yes, become his follower. Woo! There is something inside of them that becomes lit, and they are on fire, man, just like the people in the Bible that were healed by Jesus. Have you noticed in the scripture that somebody would be healed, and often Jesus would say, don't go tell anybody. Go show yourself to the priest. Get everything taken care of according to the law. Move on with your life. What did they always do? They went and told somebody. They went and told multiple people. I don't think Jesus was using reverse psychology. I think Jesus was honoring that he had a call, and that call was be the Messiah, but there was a misperception of what it meant to be the Messiah, and it wasn't about just being a physical healer in the now that he came to pay the penalty for our sins, and he didn't want to get distracted from that, and so he would heal people, show the compassion of Jesus, But he would try to tell them, hey, don't get a lot of people doing this. But they couldn't help it. The move of God was so strong, so powerful in life that they got on fire and they had to tell everybody around them what Jesus had done in their lives. That's what a new follower of Jesus does. But what we tend to think is this. We tend to think they'll settle down soon. It's all new to them. It's just exciting now. But soon enough, they'll get over that initial high. And they'll join the rest of us as they mature. Isn't it interesting? We have this idea that apathy, lack of fire, is maturity. That somehow maturity precludes passion in life. Which is very opposite of the testimony of scripture. Last month, we celebrated the extravagant heart of God shown to us in the incarnation. God loved us so much in a way that we can't begin to describe. His heart for us is so grand that the creator became flesh. The creator became human. The prophet Isaiah spoke about this reality hundreds of years before it happened. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now come on, this is incredible, is it not? But what we tend to do is often miss the last line of the prophecy. Look at it. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. God is on fire He wants you to know that he is wonderful counselor. He wants you to know that he is mighty God, that he is everlasting father, that he is prince of peace. God is passionate that people find hope, that they find peace, they find abundant life. He's not casual, he's not apathetic, he is not ho-hum at all about that which is most important. He is zealous to see these things happen and guess what he wants to do? He wants his fire in us. He wants to put his fire in you and I. John the baptizer prepared the way for Jesus' earthly ministry. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. And John looked at a group of followers and said, I baptize you with the water for repentance, but there's one who's coming, the one you need to get ready for after me. He's mightier than I. His sandals I am not even worthy to carry. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Why? Because we are to carry the zeal. We are to carry the fire of the Lord Almighty. So Paul, writing to the church in Rome, but again, writing to you and I, right here today, the beginning of 2023, he says, never, somebody shout never, never be lacking in zeal. But keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Notice this is a command. It means it's for all of us. Now, I understand that there are people who are just naturally more passionate than others. They, they, they kind of do that. By the way, in every facet of the Christian faith, there are people who are more natural at it than the rest of us. It's a gift. They carry that gift to encourage us, but it doesn't mean that we now have an excuse to say, well, I'm just not as naturally passionate as they are, so I have to carry passion. No, never be lacking in zeal. We've just got to understand that passion isn't always about the way we feel. Fire is about what we're willing to pay a price for. It's about what we're willing to sacrifice for. The word passion actually means to suffer. Passion is what we're willing to suffer for. We get this at lower levels. A few weeks ago, we had the big cold snap that came through the entire United States of America. And I happened to turn on an NFL football game, the Kansas City Chiefs versus somebody. It was like a negative 15 in Kansas City. And I thought, this is just me, I thought there's no way there's going to be any stands, uh, uh, fans in the stands. No one was set out to watch a football game in negative 15. The stands were packed. There were dudes out there without their shirts on. I mean, passion is often just crazy, is it not? And I'm like, I I, I can't, I mean, it made no sense to me because I I don't value what they value. There's no facet of it. We get that. I mean, if you're passionate for something, you suffer. Like some of you have been passionate fans of the Dallas Cowboys for a lot of years. (laughs) You have suffered. (laughs) May I prophesy unto thee. You're gonna suffer some more in the next few weeks, I'm just saying. Oh some of you saying, get thee behind me, Satan. <laughs> you're willing to sacrifice, you're willing to pay a price for. Passion. If you're passionate for physical fitness, you're willing to suffer through a workout. You're willing to sacrifice certain foods so that you can be healthy for something greater in life, right? But it's interesting, when you're really passionate for something, when you're on fire front, suffering's not the same because you see the value of what you're doing. So the scripture implores us, let us therefore fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now notice the juxtaposition of the words. See, that's a big word right there, juxtaposition. Notice, joy and endure and cross. All meshed together. How can you be enduring a cross and have joy? The zeal of Yahweh the Almighty will accomplish this. Jesus so saw what was going to be accomplished, and he did what he did that he endured, he suffered with a joy because of a zeal he carried from heaven itself. That's what we are supposed to have. I need you to hear me and hear me well. Passion, fire, isn't optional for the Christian journey. If we want what is best, if we want to look carefully at how it is we walk in this life so that we can make the best use of the time, one of the wisest things we can do in 2023 is say, God, I need to fuel the fire of my faith because fire above anything else empowers wise choices. Come on. We get the idea of needing to make choices. Life has limits. There's only 24 hours in a day. That was established by God, by the way. He's the one that put the sun and the moon in the sky. He's the one that had the earth rotate like it is. It was God who designed our bodies to need sleep. I think some of us believe that Adam and Eve didn't need to sleep, that they could just work 24-7. I don't believe that at all. I think they slept just like we do because it's God who designed limitations in life. Our bodies require sleep. It's the way God created us. We can only be one place at one time. Like, we try to somehow expand that, but everybody at the North Campus, just in case you really rest with this, I'm not there. Like, no person is 16 feet tall. We use video to try to accomplish something, but we only be one place at one time. Because of the limitations, we can only say so many yeses in life. And every time you say a yes, you are actually saying thousands of no's. Every time you choose to do something with your time, you said no to thousands of things. It's default the way God created things in life. Fire, passion helps us as we're making these decisions to make sure we're making the best use of the time. One author, this was a business guy. He actually said it really well. He says, you have to decide what your highest priorities are and have the courage, pleasantly, smilingly, non-apologetically, to say no to the others. Well, how do you say no? And the way you say no is that you have a bigger yes burning inside of you. Fire! If I ask you right now, what your highest priority is. I think almost all of us, North Campus, South Campus, online family, we would say my relationship with God is my highest priority. We say that because we mentally know it's true, but I'm gonna challenge, I think we mean it. I don't think you'd be here if at some level that wasn't true. I think that is our desire. I mean, we start listing off our priorities and we can say, well, yeah, my relationship with God, if I'm married, then my relationship with my spouse, if I have kids, then my parenting of my kids. And we start listing out our priorities. And all those are accurate. And please hear, I think that there's a desire inside of us to be true. But at the same time of listing those priorities, we have to be honest enough to say that we all have this propensity to be distracted. We live in an evil time. And because of the reality of evil, there is this propensity to stray off course. Look carefully then how you walk. Because we intend to be unwise. But let's make sure we are wise in life. It is why Paul told his spiritual son Timothy. But again, he tells you and I, for this reason, I remind you to what? Fan into flame the gift of God that is within you. You see, fire, as soon as it is lit, the natural thing for it to do is die. I don't know, maybe you have a fire pit in your backyard, we do, we love it. Love to hang around by the fire and talk and all that kind of stuff, it's great. But I have discovered that once you get a fire lit, that's a little bit more work than you think to get it lit. You gotta do certain things in a certain way. Things like gasoline probably aren't the wisest thing to be using for the fire, so it's fun. All the women are going, fun, and all the dudes are going, yeah. (laughs) But once you get it going, it won't stay going unless you give it fuel to keep going. You can keep the fire going without end as long as it has enough fuel that is combustible and it has air. Spiritual fire does the same thing spiritual fire that is so important to making wise choices has to be fueled. And I'm going to challenge has to have air. And in the scripture, the word air, breath, and spirit, same word. I think there has to be fuel and there has to be the spirit of God that works together. And when that happens, it can go on without end. And so I would suggest to you, you do with it what you will. That one of the wisest things we can do in 2023 fuel the fire of your faith. So I want to ask you a question. How are you doing in terms of being on fire? I'm in a small group like we encourage everybody to be in. I've been in dozens of small groups in Beltway Park. And it's not because I don't get along with people, okay? Um, it's because we always want to be expanding. We want to launch new groups so we can embrace more people. And I, the group I'm in right now, is a great group. And our leader, almost without fail, will end with one or two questions on scale. What we mean by that, he'll say on a scale of one to ten, One meaning this, ten meaning this, where are you? And I think it's genius to do that because when I ask you how on fire are you for God, it's not like it's probably all or nothing. It's probably somewhere in between. And so in honor of my group leader who's invested a lot in my life, on a scale of one to ten, where are you being on fire of God? One being as low as it's ever been in my existence, zero might be no fire. And it might be you're a zero because you're saying, I'm just now considering the claims of Jesus, which is awesome. And 10 being this is the most on fire I have ever been. Where are you? Listen to me. The goal isn't to feel bad. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are you hearing me? There is no condemnation. No condemnation. If you're in Christ, this isn't about condemnation. This is about the best. So there is conviction. The Spirit of God does work to say, I just want you to have the best, and I'm going to keep trying to nudge you. Sometimes he slaps us. Sometimes he'll punch you pretty hard, to be honest, because he loves you so much to get you back, to keep from being distracted. So where are you? Not in a guilty way, just an honest way. And what if we said, Lord, in 2023, I want to bump forward three or four notches? I want to fuel the fire of my faith. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. It's an invitation. From the Almighty Himself to what is best. And I'm just telling you, the more on fire we are for God, the easier it is to make the best use of our time. Now, I get to struggle. Life, the evil days, is always trying to quench the fire of what's most important. We see um, newlyweds and how excited they are about their marriage. And we old-timers can begin to smirk and go, eh, they'll grow out of it. Maybe we should be asking why. Maybe the issue's not them, maybe the issue's us. Now, will fire look different at year 37 of marriage than probably year one? Yeah. But we can still be on fire, right? And yeah, maybe the fire of our faith will look different than for a new follower of Jesus, but we can still be on fire. So if you're not a 10 in being on fire, passion, I'm not on a 10. Now, to be honest, I've answered a lot of these one to 10 questions and I never give myself a 10 because I think there's always room to grow. That's just the way I'm wired. But I'm not even at my highest spot. I'll just be honest. But I want to get there. And what I, what I did in my prep this week, I kept asking the Lord to show me the very practical things each of us needs to do, like four things we could all do to fuel our fire. But then it hit me, maybe the things we need to do are different. And maybe what we need to do is hear from God. What would fuel the fire of my faith in 2023? So what if we take a few minutes before we head out right now? What if we bow our heads right now, each and every one of us, and if you just said, God, what do I need to do to fuel the fire of my faith in 2023? I want to make the best use of the time. I want to heed your word. I want to accept your invitation to what is best. Maybe you just need to start by confessing, I've let my fire die down, I've neglected it some. It's interesting. That like you can come to church and worship, or you can really worship. And sometimes when you just go through the motions of worship, it doesn't help your fire. But when you really worship, it helps your fire. Maybe you just need to really worship again. Maybe it's engaging the Word of God. If you felt compelled this year to engage the Word of God, here's what I'm going to give you just a little counsel. Take it from your pastor. If you've not really engaged the Bible much, I want you to start by reading the New Testament. I would rather you read the New Testament through twice this year than try to read the whole Bible through. And here's why. I think as followers of Jesus, we'll understand the Old Testament a lot more when we get Jesus. So get to know Jesus, New Testament. And then let's go back to the old. Old is valuable. It's the word of God. There's a lot in it. But you'll, if you start in Genesis and start trying to work your way through, you'll die about Genesis 23. Let's start in Matthew. And go Matthew through Revelation. And just read through Revelation, skim the surface, get the big stuff. Then read it again. Maybe that's what you need to do. I don't know. Would you just ask the Lord what you need to do? Maybe. You want to be so bold as to say, God, baptize me in fire again. Think about that. Baptize me in fire. That's what I want. What if we made that a prayer? In fact, I'll do a bold thing here. If you would be so bold as to say, G- Jesus, I want you to baptize me in fire, the Holy Spirit in fire in 2023 again, just raise your hand up right now. Say, I want to be baptized. I want it. Yeah, I do. You can put your hands down. Maybe some of us need to fast. Fast for fire. Fasting is where we give up something good, usually a blessing from God for a season so that we can have something greater. Things that are good from God that have become a distraction. It could be social media, be certain types of food or food, be all sorts of things. Spirit shows you to fast. Say how long, it could be a few days, it could be a week, it could be two weeks, three weeks. Maybe that's what he has you do. I don't know. Maybe you just ask over the course of the next week, what would it take for me to fuel my fire in 2023, oh God? Father, that's what we want. We want to be on fire. The zeal of the Lord Almighty, we want it inside of us. That's what I pray. I bless your people here at Beltway Park. We want to make the wisest of decisions. We want to make the best use of the days. And so I ask for the grace to be able to do that. And I ask that there would be a fire, a passion, a zeal for you and your name. You are worthy of the total zeal of our heart, oh God, beyond anything else. But I pray that we would not just be zealous for you. I believe when we're zealous for you, oh God, there's going to be other things that are so important in this world that you're going to make us zealous for those as well. I just ask that you would put us right in the right place, Father, where we've been distracted. Show us and move us back. that which is best. We love you and give praise to your name in Jesus. Amen.